All right. Uh, welcome, brothers and sisters in the faith, to another episode of Bible History Project. I'm so happy to be here in a different state, but I'm not going to mention the state for the sake of the safety of our brothers and sisters hosting our episode of Bible History Project for tonight. Before we go ahead and proceed with our topic, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much for gathering safely your people. O oh God, our purpose is to know you by studying your holy words and commands. We can do nothing by ourselves. By your grace, we have received your salvation. And by faith, we proclaim your holy name. Be with us throughout the study of your holy words. May you kindly forgive all our sins and make us worthy again to partake of your mercy. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You will send your Holy Spirit to give us guidance in the study of your commands. We ask and beg everything, O Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So we're going to go ahead and jump into Genesis number 19, or chapter 19, I should say. From our previous studies, we left off with the three visitors, the visitors who went to Abraham's tent, the Lord God himself through a theophany, and also two angels with him, which is what we call an angelophany. And in the end of our studies, we know that the Lord stayed with Abraham and had a conversation with him about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God sent the two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to announce its destruction. When the two angels proceed to go to Sodom and Gomorrah, guess who he finds over there? You'd never guess it. Guess who? <laughs> Let's find out. Genesis chapter 19 and the verses 1. When the two angels came to Sodom that evening, who was there? Lot was sitting at the city gate. As soon as he saw them, he got up and went to meet them. He bowed down before them. And so when the two angels of the Lord went to Sodom, who was there sitting at the city gate? It was Lot. Remember, Lot became a prisoner there in Sodom. And it was Abram who helped and delivered him. However, after he was delivered from Sodom, he goes back to Sodom, apparently, Lot has an affair or a love affair living in that city. I wonder why. How did Lot get involved with Sodom in the first place? Let's go back to Genesis 13, 10 to 13. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot, Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. How did Lot become involved with Sodom in the first place? Remember when Lot's crew and Abram's crew were fighting with each other all the time? What did Abraham decide to do? Let's part ways. Choose a land for yourself. You go in that direction. I'll go in the opposite direction. And so Lot looked at the Jordan Valley and he noticed how beautiful the land was. 
he noticed how lush and fertile the land was. And so he said, I want that, uh, uncle. I want to be there near Sodom. Take note, he moves his place to a spot near Sodom. It was not in Sodom, but near Sodom. Perhaps he was aware of the wickedness in Sodom itself. You know what Lot reminds me of? A member of the Church of Christ who knows he's not supposed to go to certain places, but he decides, you know what? I'm not going to actually go there, just near that place, right? Sodom is the same way, or Lot is the same way with Sodom. However, what does Sodom, what does Lot eventually do? Let's read Genesis 14, 11 to 12. The four kings took everything in Sodom and Gomorrah, including the food, and went away. Lot, Abram's nephew, was living in Sodom. So they took him and all his possessions. So Lot started out in a place near Sodom. Eventually, now he lives where? In Sodom, becomes a prisoner in Sodom. He was released because he was rescued by Abram. And so what does he do after that? Genesis 19.1, he goes back to Sodom. Not only that, he was sitting at the city gate. You know what that means? It means that Lot became a judge. He became a city councilman for, guess what? Sodom. Not only did he go to a place near Sodom, not only did he live in Sodom, he became an authority figure representing Sodom itself. Can you imagine that? It all started because he pitched a tent near Sodom and Gomorrah. And so eventually the two angels go to visit him and he notices the two angels. What's the proof? Bible says as soon as he saw them, he got up and went to meet them and bowed down before them. Apparently when he was with Abram, he already knew these angels. Perhaps Theophanes and Angelophanes were a common occurrence during the time of Abram when Lot was with them. And so Lot, he was well aware of the procedures and acts of worship of the people of God that was taught to Abram. And so Lot entertained the two angels. What did he say to the two angels? Let's read Genesis 19, verse 2. My lords, he said, come to my home and wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh, no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. And so what did Lot say to the two angels? He said, my lords, come to my house. You can wash your feet and you can spend the night. And afterwards, you can go on your way. Well, it was like a half-hearted expression of hospitality, right? Very different from Abram. What did Abram do? He actually washed their feet, right? And he really wanted to sincerely have them stay. But with Lot, although he did a good thing because he was hospitable to these two angels, he invited them to his house. But you notice what the angel said? No, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. Why? I don't know. Maybe they were kind of hesitant to spend the night in a place in Sodom, but it would be more dangerous to spend the night in Sodom outside, right? But so what did they do? Let's read Genesis 19.3. What did Lot do? But Lot 
insisted. That was good of him. Very admirable of Lot. So at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. So the angels, what did they do? They actually ate. I don't know how they digested the food. I guess when the angelophany was at work, for some reason, I guess they produced a digestive system somehow. I don't know how. It just did. It just happened. So people sometimes ask the question, in heaven, Brother John, are we going to eat food there? Probably. <laughs> right? What kind of food? Good food. Somebody was asking earlier today, Kaja, are we going to eat lichon there? For those of you who don't know what lichon is, it's roasted pork. And I told them, well, we might eat lichon, but plant-based lichon, <laughs> because there's no death in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And so I, the angels eat the food, and they stay in the home of Lot, which is a good sign for Lot. However, because in Sodom, there are a lot of very bad people, what happens next? Let's read Genesis 19, 4-5. Before the guests went to bed, the men of Sodom surrounded the house. All the men of the city, both young and old, were there. They called out to Lot and asked, where are the men who came to stay with you tonight? Bring them out to us. The men of Sodom want to have sex with them. My goodness. These men of Sodom are pretty bad. And these angels apparently are very handsome, I guess. And so they surrounded the house. All of them, young and old, were there. And they wanted to do bad things to these angels. I wonder what Lot did. Let's read Genesis 19, 6-7. Lot went outside and closed the door behind him. He said to them, friends, I beg you, don't do such a wicked thing. It's a good thing Lot still had some morals within him. After all, he grew up with Abraham. So I'm sure he was introduced to the moral principles of our almighty God. And so during our day, he kind of grew up in the church, right? So he knew the difference between right and wrong. And so he told the people who wanted to go in his house, I beg you, don't do such a wicked thing. Now, before you go admire Lot for his bravery and for his conviction of faith, you know what he does next? This is really weird. Genesis 19, verse 8. Look, I have two daughters who are still virgins. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you want with them. But don't do anything to these men. They are guests in my house, and I must protect them. Can you imagine that? Lot was offering his own two daughters to these men. You see, that's what Sodom does to you. If you live long enough in Sodom, eventually Sodom is going to warp your mind and your thinking. It's what happened to Lot. And so Lot was divided because he lived a com compromised life. He knew his heritage was to be a godly person. But he was living a worldly life. He wanted to be in Sodom. He wanted to live the way of life of the people there. And so eventually it got into his thinking. And now he offers his two daughters to these men. What did the angels decide to do? Let's read Genesis 
19, 9 to 11, but they said, get out of our way, you foreigner. Who are you to tell us what to do? Out of our way, or we will treat you worse. And then they pushed Lot back and moved up to break down the door. But the two men inside reached out, pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And they struck all the men outside with blindness so that they couldn't find the door. Aren't you glad you have angels with you? Right? When Lot said, you cannot have these angels, you cannot have these men. What did the, what did the men do? The men said, get out of our way or we're going to treat you worse than them. You see, when you mingle with the ways of the world, eventually the world is going to destroy you. Lot thought Sodom was a safe place. But here, Bible says Sodom threatened to destroy him. You live with sin long enough, sin will eventually destroy you from the inside out. It's a good thing the angels were there. They kind of saved the night, right? They delivered Lot from this potential very big problem. And so what happens next? Genesis 19, 12 to 13, the two men said to Lot, if you have anyone else here, sons, daughters, sons-in-law, or any other relatives living in the city, get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The Lord has heard the terrible accusations against these people and has sent us to destroy Sodom. And so what did the angels announce to Lot? He said, if you have any relatives, get them out of the city. Why? Because we are going to destroy this place. And so the opportunity for deliverance was given to Lot and also the family of Lot. This was God's grace. And so when Lot found out about this message, about the impending destruction for Sodom, what did he do? Genesis 19 verse 14, Then Lot went to the men that his daughters were going to marry and said, Hurry up and get out of here. The Lord is going to destroy this place. But they thought he was joking. And so when Lot found out about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah eventually, what did he do? He went to the men, his daughters were supposed to marry. Can you imagine that? They were going to get married, and here's Lot offering them to these strangers, right? And so he goes to the men who were going to marry his daughters and said, hurry up, get out of here. The Lord is going to destroy this place. What was the reaction? They thought he was what? Joking. Do you know why they thought he was joking? I would assume because Lot wasn't a very religious or spiritual person. And all of a sudden, he's talking about the Lord, right? All of his life, he never spoke once maybe about the Lord. And all of a sudden, he says, the Lord is going to destroy this city. And so what did he think? Well, he's probably joking. It doesn't fit him, right? Speaking about the Lord and his judgment, it doesn't fit his character. Sometimes... We have a hard time doing missionary work because when people look at our lives and we talk about church and God and spirituality, they say, wait a minute, you invite me to your church, but you do all these things. It doesn't fit and they think you're joking. This is why the best thing we can do if we want to share the gospel is live our life according to 
in the gospel. That way, there's congruence between what we say and what we do. We're not going to end up like Lot, who was laughed at. People thought he was joking when he spoke about the Lord and the judgment that has been decreed against Sodom. And so what happened when Lot began to hesitate? Genesis 19.15, what was the instruction of the angels to Lot? At dawn, the angels tried to make Lot hurry. Quick, they said. Take your wife and your two daughters and get out so that you will not lose your lives when the city is destroyed. And so God has a command, leave the city. You know, when God gives us a command, we should not hesitate in fulfilling that command. You agree? We shouldn't say, I'm going to obey tomorrow. What do you think would have happened if Lot said, I'm going to obey, but I'll do it tomorrow? What do you think would have happened to Lot? Probably would not have made it, right? You see, when God gives us a command, he wants us to obey it right away. Don't postpone obedience. We need to always be quick, especially when God announces judgment day is at hand. We need to take that seriously. We need to renew our life as soon as possible. And so the instruction was, be quick, leave this place. What else? Genesis 19, 16 and 17. Lot, what did he do? Hesitated. I wonder why Lot uh, hesitated. Maybe because he kind of loves his life in Sodom, right? Sometimes when people are kind of attached to a vice or a sin they know they're not supposed to be living in, it's kind of hard for them to detach, right? When God tells you to do something and you kind of, you, you're used to doing this as part of your routine, it's kind of difficult to get rid of an old habit. And so God says you need to leave and you need to leave now, but Lot, he hesitated. The Lord, however, had pity on him. It's called God's grace, God's mercy. So then the men took him, his wife and his two daughters, by the hand and led them out of the city. Then one of the angels said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop in the valley. Run to the hills so that you won't be killed. What was the instruction? Not just to get out of Sodom, but to run to where? The hills. And to do that right away. But he hesitated. It's a good thing God is merciful. He told the angels, why, why don't you just take them by the hand? Why don't you just drag them out of there? You know, sometimes God will do that. He will use instruments who will kind of force us, right, to do the right thing. Has that happened to you before? Maybe it was your father or mother, grandfather, grandmother, kind of like dragged you, right? That's kind of God's mercy, God's compassion. You see, God wants the best for us, but sometimes we don't realize that for ourselves. And so God will use instruments, angels in our life, in the manifestation of the people that love us, right? And so it's a good thing. God had mercy. God had grace. And so they were practically dragged out from Sodom and Gomorrah. And they, will they, will, they were told to run to the hills. But here's Lot. <laughs> so he's being dragged, right? He's on his way out of Sodom. And what does he do? Genesis 19, 18 and 22. But Lot answered, no, please don't make us do that, sir. You have done me a great favor and saved my life. But the hills are too far away. The disaster will overtake me and I will die before I get there. You see that little town? It's near enough. Let me go over there. 
You can see it is just a small place and I will be safe. He answered, all right, I agree. I won't destroy that town. Hurry, run. I can't do anything until you get there. Because Lot called it small. The town was named Zoar. So here's Lot. He's on his way out of Sodom. He was supposed to go run to the hills. What does he do? He makes an excuse. Right? You know, when we live in sin, and we find out from the minister, or maybe when we read the Bible, wait a minute, I should not be doing this. Sometimes we make excuses for our sins, right? It's because of this, it's because of that. Lot does the same thing. The hills are too far away. Why can't I just go to this place here? It's nearby. You notice that? He doesn't, he doesn't want to be too far away from where? Sodom. Why? Because he fell in love with Sodom. He doesn't want to move out completely out of Sodom. It's called living a compromised life when you're not willing to part from your sins. And so he says, just take me there to a nearby small place called Zoar. And the angel said, okay, go ahead, run. I can't do anything until you get there. And so after uh, he leaves, what happens? Uh, but before we go there, next slide, please. You notice Abraham had faith. But what kind of faith did he have? <laughs> he had faith. I mean, he agreed to leave, right? We can give him that. So if people ask, you know, oh, wait a minute, that should not be Abraham. That should be Lot. <laughs> Lot had small faith, right? Not Abraham. You better cross that out. Lot had small faith because he agreed to leave, right? And so... One lot leaves and he's safe. What happens next? Genesis 19, 23, 25. The sun was rising when Lot reached Zoar. Suddenly the Lord rained burning sulfur on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed them in the whole valley along with all the people there and everything that grew on the land. And so when Lot, because of his small faith, who had to be dragged out of Sodom and Gomorrah and still made excuses to go to a, small, a smaller town called Zoar, he was still safe, right? He was still delivered from the judgment that God decreed against Sodom and Gomorrah. And so when he reached Zoar, what happened? The Lord rained burning sulfur and destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the entire plain of the Jordan Valley. This is God's judgment at work and so when they were on their way to zawar what happened to lot's wife let's read genesis 19 verse 26 but lot's wife what did she do she looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt was lot's wife on her way to salvation was she yeah but she looked back when she was not supposed to. What happened when she looked back? The Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. You know what Lot did? What, Lot, what Lot's wife did? She basically just wasted her grace, right? God gave her grace. She did not deserve that deliverance. Lot did not deserve that deliverance. God gave them the opportunity to be saved, but she wasted it. She looked back and she became a pillar of salt. That's what you call what a waste. 
right? In Tagalog, what do you call that in Tagalog? Sayang, no? How do you translate that correctly in, in English? Sayang, what a waste, right? She wasted the grace of salvation. And so what happened uh, when the city was being burned? Let's go to Abraham's point of view. Genesis 19, 27 and 29. Early the next morning, Abraham hurried to the place where he had stood in the presence of the Lord. He looked down at Sodom and Gomorrah and the whole valley and saw smoke rising from the land like smoke from a huge furnace. But when God destroyed the cities of the valley where Lot was living, he kept Abraham in mind and allowed Lot to escape to safety. According to scriptures, Abraham from Canaan, looking at the valley, he saw smoke coming out of the land, like smoke from a huge furnace. However, who was safe? Lot. Why was Lot saved? Bible says God kept Abraham in mind and allowed Lot to escape to safety because of God's grace and God's favor to Abraham. He had Lot in his mind and he allowed Lot to, to escape safely. You know what that shows us about God? Next slide. God's grace was great, right? Lot's faith was what? Small. It's a good thing God's grace is great to compensate for the smallness of our faith. Next slide. What happens? What happened when God's great grace met with Lot's very small faith? Next slide. Lot's deliverance. You know, we emphasize that we need to live by faith, right? But we need to also realize without God's grace, we have no hope. As human beings, we're just like Lot, aren't we? Not exactly like him, but in some, in some ways, we are kind of like him. We all have faults. As human beings, we make mistakes. As human beings, we're influenced by the world. It's a good thing that God's grace is so much bigger. And so even if sometimes we fail, God's grace is enough. And so Lot was delivered. But Lot, he also wasted his grace in, one, in some way. Why? Let's read in Genesis 19, verse 30, what does he do next? Because Lot was afraid to stay in Zoar, he and his two daughters moved up into the hills and lived in a cave. Can you imagine that? First, he tells the angels, I don't want to go all the way to the hills. I'm afraid. Let's just, I just want to go to Zoar. And so when he's in Zoar, what, what does he do? He says he's afraid, and now he wants to go to the hills. That's what sin does. I want you to remember this. When a person lives in sin, when a person lives a worldly life, they're always going to have fear. Okay? You're always going to have fear. And when you have a lot of fear, you're going to make irrational choices in your life. Look at Lot. He ended up living where? In a cave. I don't know about you. That's not how he started his life. He was a pretty wealthy person, right? 
But because of his fear, which is a result of his compromised life because of the sin that he was so used to, he ends up living in a cave. He probably died in a cave. You know why? Because of fear. You know why they're afraid? Let's, re- let's listen to the next passage, Genesis 19, 31 to 35. The older daughter, remember, he has two daughters with him, right? The older daughter said to her sister, our father is getting old and there are no men in the whole world to marry us so that we can have children. Let's pause it for a while. So apparently they think there's nobody else living in the whole world. <laughs> that it's just the three of them left. <laughs> so that's why, that's why they're, they're living in a cave. They had no idea that Abraham and his people are still there in Canaan, right? That's what fear does. It kind of clouds your thinking and your, it blinds you. And so the two daughters, what do they do? Come on, let's get our father drunk so that we can sleep with him and have children by him. Can you imagine that? The depravity of that? That night they gave him wine to drink and the older daughter had intercourse with him, but he was so drunk that he didn't know it. The next day, the older daughter said to her sister, I slept with him last night. Now let's get him drunk again tonight. You sleep with him. Then each of us will have a child by our father. So that night, they got him drunk, and the younger daughter had intercourse with him again. He was so drunk that he didn't know it. Can you imagine the depravity of mankind? The daughters of Abraham. Because... They were living in Sodom. Sodom influenced the way they were thinking. And so they come up with this plan. A plan which is against the will of our Almighty God. You know what the fruit of that plan was? Let's read Genesis 19, 36 to 38. In this way, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. The older daughter had a son whom she named Moab. He was the ancestor of the present-day Moabites. The younger daughter also had a son, whom she named Ben-Ami. He was the ancestor of the present-day Ammonites. And who are the Moabites and the Ammonites? Next slide. The Moabites and the Ammonites would become two of the greatest enemies of the people of Israel. I don't know about you, but Lot did not have a happy ending, right? Why? Because he found himself, next slide, treading the downward spiral of sin. You know how it all started, if you still remember? How did Lot's life start spiraling downwards toward destruction? Where did it begin again? Next slide. Genesis 13, right? He he camped near Sodom. It was near the place of sin. Afterwards, what happened next? Next slide. Then Lot lived in Sodom. Genesis 14, 11 and 12. You see the spiral? Started out near Sodom, then lived in Sodom. Next slide. Then Lot was dominated by Sodom. He becomes an authority figure, for crying out loud, of Sodom. Right? Next slide. Then Lot's thinking was warped by Sodom. Genesis 19, verse 8. He wants to give his own daughters those strangers then what happens next lot was being destroyed by sodom next slide then lot found it difficult to leave sodom you know because when a person becomes so engrossed in living a life of sin it consumes you so much you cannot imagine a life living without it 
That's what happened to Lot. Next slide. Lot lived in fear because of Sodom. And finally, Lot passed on the influence of Sodom to many generations. I don't know about you, but do you want that kind of legacy? I don't think so, right? We want to put a stop to that. We don't want to be in a downward spiral of sin. So what do we need to do? We need to make sure we don't do the beginning. How, what is the beginning of that downward spiral? What does it say? Lot camped near Sodom. Don't even compromise. Don't make negotiations. Don't even come near a place of sin. In fact, isn't this what the Bible teaches? Next slide, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. What does Apostle Paul remind us of? Stay away from lust, which tempt young people. In other translations of the Bible, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living. And so if you know a place that's going to stimulate useful lust, you don't go there and say, I'm just going to pray to God. No. We don't endure temptation. We run away from temptation. We endure trials, right? But we don't endure temptation. Don't go to a casino and say, I can endure this. Don't go to a club and say, I can endure this. No, you run away from places of temptation. That's what the Bible teaches us. What else? Apostle Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from even the appearance of wisdom, even the form of evil. Stay away from and abstain. Apostle Paul also tells us to keep away from what? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, we have parents, godly parents, who teach us the values of our almighty God, who teaches us the Bible, right? But if we go out there and we have bad companions, what do they end up doing? It corrupts our good Character. This is why sometimes we hear stories of people we know who were godly growing up, right? They were officers in the CWS, farm members. They were president of some organization. They were very active going to church. And then all of a sudden, you find out, you know what? You remember brother so-and-so? Well, he's in jail now for shoplifting. How did that happen? It's right there. Bad company. Bad company corrupts good character. This is why if we want to preserve the good character that we have developed because of the, the values and the words of God taught to us, if we want to preserve that, we have to make sure the people we hang out with are not the people who are like Sodom, people in Sodom, right? Not worldly but good company so that we can preserve the godly character that God teaches us through his words. And so Apostle Paul is telling us, keep away from anything that will cause us to commit sin. You know who took this even further and deeper to the extremes? Let's go to Matthew 5, 29, verse 30. This is Christ. So if your eye, even your good eye, because sometimes we have a good eye, a bad eye, right? Christ says, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, what do you say to do? 
cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, is our Lord Jesus Christ telling us to mutilate ourselves? Is that his message? No. He wants us to realize how serious sin is, right? Because if we have like a cancer in our body, we want to cut it off. We don't want to compromise with cancer. We want to cut it off, right? You see, sin is more dangerous than cancer. Cancer can only destroy your body. But sin destroys every part of you. This is why Christ says, take it seriously. Don't compromise with sin. Cut it off. Remove it from your life. This is why as people of God in these last days, we need to promote holiness, godliness, and righteousness. And so when God judges and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, what was God's intention? Second Peter chapter 2 and the verses 6, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed them by burning them to ashes. He made those cities an example to ungodly people of what is going to happen to them. This is the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, did he live in the Old Testament or the New Testament? New Testament. He's an apostle, right? He's telling about the events of the end times. He's talking about Judgment Day. And so what did he say about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, God condemned those cities, destroying those cities, and burning them to ashes so that they can be what? An example. You know the word example in Hebrew or in Greek? Do you know what that word means? Let's go to the next slide. This is the, how the Greek looks like. Example, it's a hupodigma. I don't even want to pronounce that, right? I don't want to get in trouble for mispronunciating some kind of Greek word. But what does that mean? Next slide. From Strong's Talking Greek and Hebrew Dictionary, hupodignumi. Oh, goodness. That's a tough word, right? What does it mean? It's an exhibit. An exhibit for imitation or warning. It's a figurative specimen, abdubration. And so the word example means an exhibit, right? And so when we go back to the verse, next slide, in 2 Peter 2 verse 6, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example or an exhibit. The city made of ashes becomes an exhibit for all of us to see so it can serve as a what? A warning. In other words, we can expect to find the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because how can it be an exhibit? How can it be a specimen for us to be warned about if we cannot see it? Right? This is why when you look at the Greek word there, it suggests we are able to find the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the ruins is going to be in the form of ashes. Do you want to look for it? Sodom and Gomorrah. How many here went to Israel? Anyone here visit Israel before? Yeah? All right. We've got our brother and sister over there went to Israel. Did you get a chance to see Sodom and Gomorrah there? No. Okay. I don't blame you at all. <laughs> but 2021, we're planning to go on a field trip to Israel. Okay? If you want to join us, and we plan to go look for Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Why? Because we want to see the example, the exhibit of a city of ashes. Is it really there? 
Did they find it? Well, if we're going to look for it, where should we look at? Well, let's go to the next slide. Where could Sodom and Gomorrah be? Somewhere in the plain of Jordan. And they actually have found it. A city made of ashes. How does it look like? Next slide. Looks like that. Those used to be buildings. Buildings made of limestone, right? But after the destruction, that is what is left. Now, what's the difference between the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah and the ruins so of, for example, this place? Next slide. This is also a, a place of ruins destroyed by a volcano, right? Do you know what this is? Pompeii. That's right. Pompeii. And so we know what happened to Pompeii, volcanic eruption. It destroyed the city, ashes everywhere. But you know what? There's a difference between the excavations found in Sodom and Gomorrah and the excavations found in the city of Pompeii. What's the difference? Next slide. Sodom and Gomorrah are unlike any other ancient cities of antiquity that have been destroyed by fire or volcanoes. Modern excavations of the Roman city of Pompeii, for example, found a layer of volcanic ash on top on top of the limestone structures, but the original stone itself were not also turning to ash, right? It's just the surface. In contradistinction, archaeologists have found that the entire limestone cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had been turned into ash through millions of highly concentrated sulfuric balls. Amazingly, there are no other ancient ruined cities anywhere else on the planet Earth covered with pure sulfuric balls with its ruins turned into ash. This is why, next slide, if you look at the comparison, Sodom and Gomorrah, those structures, ash. Pompeii, it's just the layers, the surface layer is ash. Why? Next slide. Burning wood alone cannot have caused the limestone to turn into ash. The white ash found at Gomorrah, it was actually tested in the labs and found to be calcium sulfate how many here took chemistry <laughs> yeah what is calcium sulfate well calcium sul sulfate is the byproduct of limestone calcium carbonate and sulfur burning together the swirling designs on the sides of the structures provide evidence that these buildings were turned into ash by a process called thermal ionization this occurs when limestone rock is burnt by an unusually high heat source of up to about 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit. This is, this is why you cannot say that people burned down the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. No, because it produced temperatures of, of, of about 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The swirling designs of the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah differ from sedimentary rock, which would normally have even horizontal layers. An example of that, next slide, this is how it looks like, the thermal ionization. It's causing the spiraling, very different from the, the horizontal layering of sedimentary rock. This is called thermal ionization. It is only produced when temperatures exceed 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And so it produced, it's what's produced by sulfuric bombs. So when you go to these places, guess what you will find? Next slide. This is why I want to get a sample. When we go there for a field trip, I want to go there and I want to get a sample of these things. What are they? Sulfuric balls can easily be dug out of the surface rubble of the ruined city of Gomorrah. Lab tests reveal that these sulfuric balls were about 98% sulfur with measurable amounts of magnesium, 
Researchers were astonished at these results because all surf, all sulfur found throughout the world is usually no more than 40% pure sulfur. There's no other location on the planet where sulfur can be found in such a pure form, 98% pure. Not only that, not only did they find um, sulfur balls, sulfuric balls, they also found this. Next slide. Archaeologists have since revealed well over a million ancient graves. I don't want to find that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go there not to look for dead bodies, but for the sulfuric balls. But nevertheless, uh, archaeologists have dug up millions of ancient graves. Further evidence of a large and populated city once thrived at this location. Archaeologists even discovered charred human bones inside the ruins of these ancient cities. And they were located in this place. It's called a charnel house. You know what a charnel house is? It's like a building where they house dead bodies. And so when they excavated this one, they found thousands of bodies there. Not only that, they were able to determine through the excavation that the fire started in the roof and it spread into the interior when the roof collapsed, suggesting it came from up there. <laughs> this is why the archaeological characteristics of these excavations tell us the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah actually took place and you can find it even to this very day. That's why I can't wait to go there. And hopefully we can get some people going with us. Is that okay? You, you go stop by Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, should be fun, right? What's the purpose of this again? Next slide. So that God can give us an example. An example of God's wrath and coming judgment. However, we read 2 Peter 2.6. We know about God's wrath, God's judgment, right? Something better. 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 verse 7. There's something we need to also realize. Yet God rescued who? Lot. A man who had his approval. Lot was distressed by the lifestyle of people who had no principles and lived in sexual freedom. Although he was a man who had God's approval, he lived among the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Each day was like torture to him as he saw and heard the immoral things that people did. You see the grace of God? You think God forgave Lot? Yeah. God said that he was approved of God. Why? How can that be when we know all about the lifestyle of Lot? How can he be approved of God? Because he had a small faith. And God's grace is what? Did you get that? This is why, brothers and sisters, we should not be overly worried and concerned about our salvation. Because even with a small faith, Lot, remember Lot? What happened to him, his future, his kids, his daughters? But even Lot, God delivered. God delivered. How much more if our faith is going to be greater than Lot's faith? Can we shoot for that? Can we have a greater faith than Lot? I think we should, right? But rely always, rely always on the grace of our God. Because of God's grace, it didn't matter how small Lot's faith was. Because God's grace is enough. Okay, brothers and sisters? And so what should we strive to do? Second Peter again, 2 verse 9. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue 
godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. And so what should we strive to do? Because of our faith, we need to live a godly life because God knows how to rescue godly people from all trials, especially on the day of final judgment. When is that? Someday soon. Do you know why we're studying about Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's read. We're almost done. Luke 17, 28 to 30. Before I read this passage, raise your hand if you know. But who's speaking right now? Who is that speaking right there? Who's that? We heard from Apostle Paul. We heard from Apostle Peter. But when Christ speaks, <laughs> better pay close attention. Look at the details of whatever Christ has to say. Look what he says. When he was he's speaking about the coming of his kingdom, right? About judgment day. And he says, it will be as it was in the time of Lot. Spoiler for a while. So Christ is telling us, right before he comes, we're going to see a lot of the patterns from the days of Lot repeated during our time. Did you get that? Okay. So it will be as it was in the time of Lot. Everybody kept on eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. On the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and killed them all. That is how it will be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Who is the Son of Man? Christ. And so Christ is telling us before he comes as a way of warning so that we can prepare ourselves and learn from the past. Christ is telling us when he is going to come, people are going to be just like during the days of Lot. So in other words, Christ is telling us there's going to be like a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And in this modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah, they're going to stop thinking about God. They're not concerned about godly things. Why? Because they're focused on what? Eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. It's called materialism, prosperity. They're going to be focused on that because once upon a time, Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't made of ash. In fact, if you still remember, going back to Genesis 13, verses 10 out to 11, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So before it was destroyed, it was a fertile land, well watered everywhere. It was a beautiful place like Egypt. It was even likened to what? A garden. <laughs> What garden is that? Garden of Eden. So it was a magnificent, beautiful, glorious place before it was destroyed, right? And so God is telling us before judgment day comes, there was a place, used to be like the Garden of Eden, beautiful place, but it becomes prosperous. I wonder what this modern Sodom and Gomorrah it's called, let's go to Isaiah 1, 8 to 9. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. 
unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. So there's a, there's a daughter of Zion that would become like what? Sodom and Gomorrah. A Sodom and Gomorrah that would appear before Christ will come. And this used to be called the daughter of Zion. So it's a religion, right? A powerful religion. Wait a minute. If this is a religion, does it mean this religion is going to be associated with sexual immorality? Because when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, what do you think of? Sexual immorality. However, the sins of Sodom is not just sexual immorality. You want to know what else God accuses Sodom of? Let's read the book of Ezekiel, 16, 49 to 50. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were what? Arrogant. Hmm. Overfed. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> Overfed, that means they were prosperous, right? Rich, powerful, overfed, <laughs> and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Rather, they abused the poor and the needy. How did they become rich and powerful in the first place? Because they abused the poor and the needy. They were what? Haughty. What does that mean, haughty? Arrogant. <laughs> so God used that descriptor twice. Arrogant, haughty. And did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. So the sins of Sodom is not just sexual immorality. It also includes arrogance, being overfed with prosperity, being unconcerned, not helping the poor and the needy, being haughty, and doing detestable things. This is why Christ says, we should not be like Sodom and Gomorrah. We should not copy or follow the ways of those cities. We should stay away from sexual immorality and all the things mentioned there by the prophet Ezekiel. This is why it's a good thing God left behind a very small remnant. What are we to do? We need to prepare. We need to prepare for the day of judgment. Why did God leave behind a small remnant? What is his basis? Grace. It's by God's grace that he left behind a very small remnant. And because of God's grace, let's not waste God's grace. This is why Christ also added this. What is that? Let's go back to Luke 17, 32 to 35. Remember Lot's wife. What did Lot again do? She wasted her grace, right? How did she waste her grace? She was on her way to the hills. She was on her way to salvation. And then she looks back. And so Christ says, don't waste your grace. Don't look back. Christ says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken. The other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken. The other left. Because Christ is telling us here in America, if, we're, if it's sleep time in China, it's work time, right? It's gathering grain time. And so Christ is telling us when Christ comes, one will be taken, one will be left. We don't want to be left. 
We want to be taken, right? And so what do we need to do? We must not look back. We must remember what happened to Lot's wife. What does that mean? Not to look back. Let's read what it says, Luke 9, 61 and 62. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But, you know, God doesn't like that word, but. <laughs> Christ doesn't like that word, but. Because, you know, once you start with a but, you're not going to like what you hear, right? I think that was in Game of Thrones too, wasn't it? <laughs> right? Anyways, Christ says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Sometimes before we want to do the right thing and follow Christ, what do we say? Well, you know, I really want to do the right thing. I really want to follow Christ, but you know, my kids, it might affect my social life. It might affect this. Does that ring a bell? Right? Sometimes we're more affected by what will happen to our social life, our family life, than what Christ really wants. What does Christ want? Christ says, follow him. We need to follow Christ. But this servant said, let me go first and bid farewell to my those who are at my house. What, what does Christ say? But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow. Looking back. Isn't that what Lot's wife did? And looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does it mean to look back? It means after receiving the instruction of Christ, after knowing what you need to do. And you still make excuses so that you don't end up doing it. That's looking back. Brothers and sisters, we're so fortunate because God has shown us by means of prophecy what we need to do. And so what we need to do now is to follow what God wants us to do. Follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look back. Why are we going to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah? Why is it going to look back? We have to look forward to the hills, to the promise of our Almighty God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what should we do so that we can be assured of our salvation? Let's read the final passage of our studies today, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. As for us, we have this large crowd of witnesses around us. So then let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds on to us so tightly and let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Let us keep, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. What do we need to do? Christ says, don't look back. Only look forward. Why? So we can finish our race. Right now, the, vis the uh, finish line is visible. We can afford to go back. You know, if you're running a race, anyone here run a race before? If you're running a race and you look back to see who's about to catch up to you, what's going to happen? Someone's going to zip by you, right? You don't look back. If you're running a race, you look forward. What does it mean to look forward? Fix your eyes always on who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because our faith depends on him alone. This is why brothers and sisters do not rely. Because sometimes we are, we are I don't know how to say this, but sometimes 
we rely too much on a human leader on earth, right? We fix our mind. I want, a, I want another executive minister to lead me. Christ will be the one to lead us because our faith depends on him, not on any executive minister here on earth. It depends on Christ and Christ alone. Fix your eyes upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the moment you stop fixing your eyes upon Christ and you shift it to someone here on earth, you're not going to win the race. That's like looking back. We look forward. The way to look forward is to fix your eyes upon our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do that, we will win the race. And we will be with Christ on the day when he appears again. Okay? All right, brothers and sisters, that is our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand for our prayer. Everlasting Father, thank you so much for your grace. Although our faith is small, because of your compassion and love, we are still here receiving your commands. Thank you so much for understanding who we are. Although we falter and make mistakes, you are quick to forgive. But we also know, Father, that you want us to obey your commands. And so we will do our best by means of our faith to live a godly life, to honor you. But Father, we can be confident when you send your beloved son, we will be with you forevermore. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we fix our eyes upon you. We have faith and believe in you. Lord, please give us enough strength that we can go on until the end to finish our race and meet you in the air to receive the promised crown of life. Bless everyone here with more faith. Help us to grow every day. Help us to know you as you truly are. Manifest yourself in our life and strengthen always your servants. Oh God, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people all over the world. We ask and beg everything in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.